you experienced in that little video that you don't know that you experienced was people were reading John 3.16 in different languages and, and repeating it in different languages. And um, it's part of the beauty of who God is. It's part of what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, thanks for being here. We're glad that you're here. Um, this was a big week for our church. Uh, our church is in a denomination. A lot of you know that. We're honored to be a part of the Evangelical Covenant. And they had their big midwinter gathering in town here this week. So that meant that a ton of you were volunteering and helping. We had musicians on the stage. We had people greeting at the doors. We had a whole lot of you waking up at 4 a.m. to drive and um, shuttle people from the golf house to the airport and back. If you helped serve this week, I want to ask you to stand up so we can, we can thank you. If you're one of the many people. Thank you for being a part of that. Uh, you guys are a gift. Brian Snively coordinated all the driving, which was like, I think it was probably like coordinating a nation full of cats arriving at an airport with a bunch of cats picking them up and hurting them all. And he had like 46 pages of spreadsheets. And um, so thank you, friend. The fact that you still talk to me today is like evidence of God at work. Um, a, a good friend, pastor in the, in the covenant, and, and coach Alan Tompkins is here joining us today. So that's a gift as well. Why don't you greet him? And, uh, and I, I met several other new people as well, so welcome here. I want to tell you a piece of information that you really want to know. Uh, the bathroom code is 3623. That's important. 3623 if you need to use the restrooms, right down the room. Okay, well, before we get into the message, I want to pray. Uh, I want to ask you to pray with me, not just for us gathered this morning, but for people across this country, across Canada, throughout um, the covenant and other churches that God might move and move powerfully. And then we might see his kingdom come in really profound ways. And so join me in praying, okay? Heavenly Father, we sing about and we say that we put all of our faith and trust in you. And we often pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And I pray that you would instill that on our hearts even more deeply. That we'd have great courage for your kingdom. That we'd have great tenacity for your kingdom. That we would experience your power and your grace and your love. And that this place would look more like heaven. As we look at the Old Testament here, as we look at what it is that you have done and what you are still doing, would you, would you speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you be in this place? In your name, amen. Well, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and that means this year the angel's excited because her team's in it. I, I don't know anyone who likes the Patriots, but I'm sure there's Patriot fans excited as well. Um, I think Super Bowl, like my team has never been in one since I've been alive. And I think Super Bowl should have to, on that Sunday, you should relive every Super Bowl moment that your team's ever had. So, like, as a Viking fan, I should watch all of those, like, grainy footage of the 70s teams. I should know everything about it, and then I should just eat a ton during the Super Bowl. If you're a Lions fan, you should read a book, and you've got time. 
So, you know, like there's things to do. I think that should be like our prep work. Or the Bengals, yeah. But there's, uh, there's all of this, like Super Bowls are supposed to be this giant encounter of the two teams, right? And, and today we're talking about something that has nothing to do with Super Bowls, but here's where I'm connecting it. We're talking about when the Israelites left out of Egypt. And this was two like superpowers going on. Yes, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, but there were more and more and more of them. It became this like cosmic showdown of the God of Egypt, represented by Pharaoh, who was the leader, who was seen as a God, and Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, who were enslaved by the Egyptians. And it became this like, who is going to win out, and which God is bigger and we, we love to talk about the, the parting of the sea and the plagues and all of those things. And it's all powerful and all important. But we're going to spend this morning talking about the moments before that. We're going to spend this morning talking about the encounter that happened before Moses even returned back to Egypt. Because I think this is really important for where we are right now. So to get us all on the same page, Moses was born a Hebrew boy. He was born a slave at a time that the Pharaoh had said that all boys should be killed. And so he was put in a basket in the river. Someone in the Pharaoh's house found him, took him in, and raised him. So he was raised as royalty. He was raised in, in the school of the leaders of Egypt, all of this. And then as his life unfolded, he realized who he was he had this violent reaction towards the treatment of slaves and killed a man. He ran into the desert to just escape all of his problems. Any of you guys ever had a moment where you wanted to do that? And he got really good at running. And he got really good and settled at this total other life, avoiding all of this conflict, avoiding who he really was, who he was raised as, who his people were, just being away from all that, he found a simple life in the desert and he lived like that until God wouldn't let him anymore. He lived there long enough to even pick up the accent, the customs, all of these things. And so we pick up with a real famous verse in, in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Uh, yeah, God says to him, do not, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, if you've read scripture much, you know this, this term comes up a lot. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This, this, these titles kind of lose their meaning a little bit on us because we don't do great at identifying ourselves in the story of God. If you've been around the last month, you know that this is something that we're working on is, is knowing the story of God and how that transforms our outlook, how we bear witness to that in our lives. And this is God saying that I am the one who was there for Abraham. And I am the one who walked Isaac through his life, who walked Jacob through his life. And now I'm before you, Moses, the same God. 
This is a powerful statement. This is like a resume that he is laying out before Moses. And Moses, he, he hides, which I would do. He, he, he you know, ducks down and, and just feels this like reverence towards who God is. Doesn't want to see him because, well, well, God is God. And then he goes on and God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this is one of my favorite things that happens in Scripture because you have an entire nation leaving out of an entire another nation. This is not just like your neighbors moved. They sold their house and they bought a new house. This is an entire workforce that leaves an economy. This is like a parting, and this is a Pharaoh God and a Hebrew God at war about who is more powerful. And the God of the Israelites says like, hey, I have heard my people, and I've seen my people, and now I'm acting on behalf of my people. This is the God of Abraham of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of Jesus that we encounter every week. The God who hears his people. The God who sees his people and acts on behalf of his people. We need to know this. We need to remember this. That when we're praying, that we're talking to God, it's not just us without this rich history. Like we have this history of God moving on behalf of his people and we're pleading before that God. This is powerful stuff. But as we unpack this, I want to take a moment and explain how people in that day saw gods. So they believed that gods like had a locale, had an area code. So like Pharaoh was the God of the Egyptians. And over Egypt, he was the one in control. Yahweh could be the God of the Israelites, but only the Israelites, only in their part of Egypt, only in that safe little corner. The Canaanites who are listed in this scripture, you may recognize some of their names, Baal or Baal, Asherah, are names that come up throughout scripture. Those are seen as a god and a goddess of the Canaanites. So in Canaan, those people have control. Those gods are seen to have control. And this is a powerful thing that God is doing. He's saying, I'm going to lead you out of the local region where people have seen and recognized I have control, and I'm going to lead you to another land on the turf of other gods, and we're going to claim that I am the God of all. That I am the biggest, most powerful, only true God. You see how that's more significant than just a people picking up and moving? He's saying that as you go, people will see that I am God. That I am God in Israel. I am God in 
in Egypt. I am God in Canaan. I am God wherever we go, wherever there are people. I am the one true God. And this isn't the first time he said it. Remember, remember when he calls Abraham in, in Genesis. He, the verse will come on the screen here. It says, I will make you a great nation. He's talking to this, this one man and his wife, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying, I'm going to show people what it's like to be my people through you. And as you have children, and your children have children, and as you go into land, they will know what it's like to be my people and for me to be your God because of you. And everyone will be blessed because of you. We see that this is the way that God in the Old Testament starts to reveal who he is. That I can't be confined to a locality. And I won't be confined to a locality. And I won't even be confined to a people. I'm the God above all gods. This week I was thinking a lot about, about Jesus' words, which is good, right? You want your pastor thinking about Jesus' words. In Luke 7, he's, he's, Jesus answers. John the Baptist is asking, is Jesus really the Messiah? Or is this all for naught? And he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. This is saying, none of these people are outside of my reach. I am the God of the blind who are receiving sight. The lame who are beginning to walk. The lepers who are cleansed. The the deaf who now hear. The poor who are inheriting this rich life. I am the God who brings that. I'm not defined by locale. I'm not defined by, by economics or health or all of these things that we, we kind of limit, right? It's like I'm not, I'm not defined by any of those. Acts 1.8, he tells us to go and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're not confined by Jerusalem. Then you go to Judea. You're not confined by Judea. And then to Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. Everywhere that God's people go, that's his turf. It's not like he just belongs in Israel. He belongs everywhere. It's all his. And this is something that we really honestly need to come to grips with a little bit. If God is held and bound to one locale, that's no real God at all. But he's boundless. And he's powerful. In fact, we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, but you see in the Gospels, people don't ask if Jesus is powerful enough. That's how we pray for healing and stuff. They don't ask about his power. They ask if he's willing. Those are very different things. They ask if that's his desire. So this video of people saying the word of God in different languages, we, that's a reality because God is the God of all people. Not just a people, he is the God of all people. But this has some really important ramifications. This week I was honored to sit with a new friend who is an indigenous Alaskan man. And he was talking to me about what it looks like to, to love Jesus in his indigenous culture. And there were expressions of Jesus and his love that blew my mind. 
things that I have never experienced. A lot of discipleship happens over smoking fish. Never done that. You, you like, he, he was talking about shows that we watch to learn about indigenous culture in Alaska, and he was like, that was my cousin. On that show that you watch, that's my cousin. And, and they speak in ways that, honestly, I, I would have been uncomfortable before. I would have been like, I don't, I don't know if that's Jesus. But as I hear his heart, absolutely, that is Jesus at work in a culture that my problem is I don't understand it. Not that Jesus isn't there. It's just that I don't understand it. Right? So we gather and we say we are one. And then we get to each other's stories. And we need to be one. And I need to experience Jesus in your story. And you need to experience Jesus in my story. I was telling Jamel just last week that it is so fascinating to me that my grandmother, who I've told you about, who sat in her chair with her arthritic hands and her giant Bible, praying for all of us and serving all of us, is this serving the same Jesus that Jamel's grandfather, who was fighting for civil rights in Cincinnati and ultimately really gave his life for the cause of Christ. That's the same Jesus in total different, different ways, total different expressions of the same Jesus. But sometimes we'll, we'll act like, no, that there's no way. Your context, I don't understand it. And so let me say, if, if I, like you guys know, I was in a suburban white church. It was a good church, but if God can only be understood in that suburban white context, then honestly, that's no good God at all. If that's the only way that he could be experienced and understood, then that is not a good God. That is not the all-powerful God that we meet in Scripture. The all-powerful God that we meet in Scripture is the one who moved the historically black church through the Jim Crow laws and through so many other things to begin to find its voice through the civil rights movement, through now fighting the new Jim Crow and all of these things to find its voice, the same one that is moving in the predominantly primarily white church to begin to open up to things that, that we have been closed off to in the past and begin to say that Jesus has called all people to himself and let's, like, let's begin to celebrate that and reflect that. That's the one that starts to open up and realize that the indigenous people have a voice and a story that we need to hear. That international people are not some exotic entity that we just travel to to fulfill some, some weird part of our life, but instead people who teach us about the faithfulness of God, about what suffering looks like, about what a life filled with prayer looks like. You see, God is the God of all people. And he hears the cry of all his people. And we get to have this powerful encounter with him. Let me tell you, if you are somebody who has only encountered God in your culture, in your context, then I'm praying that you have a new encounter, even this next month. That you begin to experience Jesus in a new way. I don't know how he wants to do it. If you want ideas, let's talk. Honestly, look around the room and, and listen to somebody's story. But I'm praying that we would begin to see Jesus for who he is instead of the limits we've put on him. But this isn't the whole point. Let's go back 
God says in Exodus 3 that he hears the cry of his people. Let's look at how how Moses responds in, in verse 11. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? If God spoke to me through a burning bush and said he wanted to lead an entire nation out of another nation, and it was my responsibility to be his mouthpiece, I hope that I would be eloquent enough to say, who am I? That's a very honest response, right? Who am I that I would have this opportunity? Often, pastoring this church, I feel like, who who am I? But a couple verses later, he goes on and he asks, well, what, what about them? He starts to ask, what, what about these, these other people? And a couple of verses later, he says, I'm not eloquent enough. I don't speak well enough. I picked up this accent that I'm not proud of. Like, how, how am I supposed to do this? And finally, a, a chapter later, he says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. This one breaks my heart. Because I feel like there's some reverence in 311, and then there's some no thank you in 413. There's some reverence to this, this thing that you're calling me to is holy and huge, and I don't know that I'm, I'm not deserving, I'm not worthy. Like, who am I to do this? And then in 413, he's like, would, would you just use somebody else? I've, I've got to, some sheep to shep. Like, leave me at what I'm doing. I don't want to be a part of that. God is saying that these Egyptians will know that I am Lord, and Moses is saying, send someone else, please. You see, we serve a God of all people, but we are also to be people of all that our God is about. We not only put limits on God, but we put limits on what parts of God will respond to. And here's kind of what I'm saying. Several times in the last month, I have heard people as I talk about my life or the life of this church, come back to me and say, that's really interesting. I'm not called to that. And about the first 10 times, I was like, okay. I can appreciate that. And then by like the 11th, I was like, no, thank you. I I, I don't accept that. Maybe you're not called to do the exact same thing that I did. But if it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you define yourself by Jesus Christ, then you are called to it. So here, here's kind of what I mean. Uh, you guys know that w- my family has, has adopted, right? You caught on. And it, someone will see a picture of us and they'll be like, oh, wow, you don't all match. I'm like, right. Or, or they'll say, like, what are the age of your kids? And you're like, 11, 11, 13. And they're like, oh, my goodness, what happened? And like, we adopted. Oh, okay, okay. And you talk for about five minutes, and then they give themselves some relief and say, oh, but, but I'm not called to that. Okay, you're probably not called to adopt. It's really okay that we don't all adopt. But you are called to care for orphans. Every one of us. James 1.27 talks about that, right? Like, we don't get to just X this out and pull this out. It says a true religion Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We are to care for orphans. This is not a task given to Nikki and I. This is a task given to the people of God. And so what do we do with this is the proper response. 
not, I'm not called to that. What do we do with the idea that I am called to care for, for orphans? Maybe, maybe we sponsor somebody. Or maybe we begin to get creative and get involved. And we like learn about the system right around us in our own neighborhood. And we work with Engelhard Elementary that we already have a relationship with and say, hey, how can we help? Not parent, but how can we help? How can we resource? Maybe we get behind some of these families. You, you, you know this. In our church, there's a, there's a high percentage of people who have adopted. Maybe we get behind some of these families. Adoption is one of the loneliest roads I've ever taken. Maybe support some of them. We have Eric and Whitney who are in our lives, who are currently in the process of adopting. That is a terrifyingly awesome process. They need people to pray. They need people to talk to. They need money. They need a whole bunch of stuff to be able to adopt. Maybe come next to them and let them be your teachers in what it looks like to live in a religion that is pure and undefiled where we're doing the very thing that God calls us to do. Yeah, sure, maybe you're not called to adopt, but you are called to care for widows and orphans if you call Jesus your Lord. Every one of us. We don't get to just say, no, I don't like that one. Maybe we just haven't been creative enough. Maybe we just haven't found where we are yet. So this week, Jamel and I had this really awkward little moment. You might have saw Scooby make fun of us on Facebook. We uh, got asked to be on this panel about politics and, and race, and there were like brilliant people and us. And... <laughs> And uh, we're, we're answering these questions, and, and it was a really cool moment that the denomination would choose to sit still in that, right? That they would choose, like, this is worthy of talking about and pastoring people through. So it was a powerful, meaningful moment. And afterwards, I talked to several people whose skin hue is the same as mine who said, oh, I'm so inspired by what you're doing. My church all matches, and I'm not called to that. And I was like, you're wrong. I actually said this to four of them. They were shocked. They were like playing a game. And I was like, no, you're actually wrong. You are called to this. Maybe you're not called to like close your church, close another church, merge together, and go through all the steps that you guys have gone through this last year. Maybe you're not called to that. But the very idea of reconciliation, you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and not be behind reconciliation. We can't do that. We can't pick and choose what we're behind. Colossians 3.11, we kind of hang on this one, right? There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We hang on this one, but here's the thing. This is not saying you are not white and, and you are not African American and you are not indigenous. It is not saying that. The beauty is that in the middle of my whiteness, Jesus met me. And he worked through that and, and began to change me through that. And so part of what you experience is the culture and is the race that I grew up in. And there's some beautiful redemption that happens there. I'm never going to tell you I don't see your color because I do, because it has mattered for your entire life. And God has worked in that. And there's something beautiful when we come together and not ask each other to be exactly the same but instead celebrate the way that God has met you, encountered you, transformed you, and done the same with me, and then we just add our amen to one another. Every one of us is called to be a part of this. This is what we have like staked our church on, right? It's like there is something to racial righteousness. 
There is something about where we belong together. If Jesus says we are one, then we are one. And on those really difficult days where we don't understand how to do it, we're still one. And on those really great days when we eat like a church potluck, we are definitely one. But we can't say, no, I'm not a part of this. Truth is saying it's hard. And I wish there was, a, I wish there was an exit. Truth is saying sometimes the weight is just too heavy and I miss other things. That is true and honest and I understand that. And I appreciate that honesty. But every single one of us who calls on the name of Jesus is to play a part in reconciliation. Maybe not every church will look incredibly diverse, but every one of us needs to be playing our part in righteousness and reconciliation. So the same panel we end up talking about immigration, about the sojourner, the foreigner. And I've ran into some pastors who are scared. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. And I said, well, that scripture's clear on what we do with that. Deuteronomy 10 speaks to what we do with that. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. That's what we talked about. He's not defined by a locale, the great and mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving food and clothing. And then he says this, that we cannot forget. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Do not forget those people because you were those people. Don't act like they're other. They're you. This is us. I don't know how that all plays out. I don't know all of this stuff. I'm new to most of this. But we have, here's the thing. God has resourced our little church. You want to work on racial reconciliation. Do you know there are people in our church who have devoted their life to this? They are your instructors. You want to learn about it? You want to see what that looks like? Then come back, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. We're having a... We're watching a video together in our 2020 that we have. We're watching a video, having a discussion afterwards, and starting to look at what is righteousness and reconciliation look like. You want to learn about caring for the immigrant, for the sojourner, for the foreigner. You want to understand that? Then talk to the people within this church who give their life to that, who are serving the immigrant, the foreigner, the sojourner. We don't have to just read about distant accounts. You can talk to the Browns or Nicole or Martin, Susan, the Rodenbaugh, these people in our family who are giving their life to this. And we can begin to find where we fit. We're not a church who's going to say, I'm not called to that. Because it's just not true. We are called to it. But this calling is, is weighty. And heavy, this fullness of God is to live within us. And it's not like this buffet where we pick and choose, right? We don't pick and choose what of the gospel that we like. Ultimately, let's not be a people who pray, let your kingdom come, and then say, we'll pardon your servant. Will you send someone else? We can't do that. 
We're going to be a people who say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And then like Isaiah, we're going to say, but I am a servant with unclean lips among a people with unclean lips. I don't know how to do this, but if you call me to go, I'm going to go. And if you say that true religion, undefiled religion, is caring for the widows and the orphans, I don't know in my capacity how I'm going to have any more room for anything else, but I'm going to learn how to do that. I'm going to support somebody who's ahead of me. I'm going to learn from somebody. I'm going to learn how Jesus is bigger than I ever imagined. I'm going, I'm going down this road because this is the road of the gospel. This is who he is. This encounter with Moses in the burning bush, this transformed Moses, you know that, right? Transformed him. And God gave him absolutely everything he needed. When he was standing at that bush, he was sure he didn't have enough. He asked that God would, would really pass the baton on to somebody else. But, but God gave him everything he needed. He needed community. He got Aaron. He needed signs and wonders. God gave them that. When he needed the sea to part, it did. When he needed a second the second set of stones because the first ones broke after, after like the people all like messed up. Like God even gave them there. He gave them chance after chance. When they needed food in the desert, he sent manna. When he needed water because it was a desert, he sent water out of a rock. He gave them everything that he needed. But Moses needed to go where God was calling him to go to inherit this God who is more vast, powerful, and holy than we ever could imagine. And this is the God who is calling you and me. This is the God who sent Jesus as an expression of love and freedom that we desperately need. And this is the God who invites us to his table to say whatever your week looked like, wherever you are coming from, whoever you are, I am your God and I'm inviting you to be my people. Be defined by me. Before Jesus gave his life, he took like a simple loaf of bread and made it holy. And he tore it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. And every time you get together, remember that my body was broken so that you, so that you could be my people. This is to a tax collector, to fishermen, to just what feels like a random collection of somebodies, right? He took the cup and he passed the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is about to be shed for you. And every time you get together, remember me and remember who you are because I said that you are. And we see in just the years that follow, as all of a sudden it's not just a Jewish thing, but it's through Cornelius and the Gentiles and it's worldwide, it's spread through Asia and all throughout the world as this movement of gathering at the table to break bread and drink from the cup and be defined by who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus cared about. This is what brings us into this room today. And so real honest, when I was prepping this, I was like, I'd rather give a sermon about a Super Bowl. Because this is all heavy stuff. But this is real gospel stuff. If we're not talking about these things, then why are we gathering? And if we're not being challenged by these things, then why do church? But the very things that God is about are the things that we're to be about. And it's not like we have to get those right to come to him. No, those are the things that he changes and transforms within us. But as we are in process, he invites us to his table. 
And so because he told us to, we're going to do the same thing. I'm going to pray for us, and I invite you to our table back there. You can receive communion on your own. You can receive communion as a family, with friends, however you need to do it. And if you're like, I don't get what any of this is about. I came in to hear a little bit about Jesus, and I'm a little bit, I want to be a part of this, but I don't even get it. Then please talk to me. I'd love to tell you about the one who transformed me. Let me pray for us and as a family we'll receive communion. Jesus, thanks for who you are. Thanks for being good. Thanks for being faithful. God, thank you for hearing the cries of your people, seeing your people moving on their behalf. Thank you for calling us to remember how big and vast you are and how broad your invitation is. And I'm sorry for the ways that I've limited it. I'm sorry for the ways I've played small. On behalf of us, I'm sorry for the ways we've played with a tiny picture of you and your kingdom. But may you surprise us with your, with your grace and your generosity. May we be moved on your behalf. Thanks for the table and who you are.